the Pharisees and the Sadducees taking counsel together against the Lord. This is familiar to us, isn't it? It's familiar to us because we're used to the fact that these are Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, right? Does anyone want to be a Pharisee? We know the song, I don't want to be a Sadducee. But we also know that we don't want to be Pharisees. We've had 2,000 years to sort this all out, haven't we? But it wasn't always that way. The Pharisees, if you know a little bit about them, you probably know this much, were highly respected. The Pharisees were the conservatives, even, among the Jews. The Pharisees were the respectable people. They were the ones who you wanted to like you. They were the ones who you wanted to invite you over to their houses. They were the ones who everyone admired, who everyone looked up to. They were the ones who knew things. And it wasn't always the case that they were against Jesus. It started off pretty good. I mean, Jesus' ministry in the eyes of the Pharisee. Here comes this guy, and the reports come to the Pharisees. He's preaching about the kingdom. After all, that's Jesus' message, isn't it? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the Pharisees were very interested in that. Everyone was. And so it started off pretty good. They probably looked at Jesus and they said, hey, here's somebody who's up and coming. Here's somebody who might be of value to us. Here's someone who we can, you know, use. Maybe they wouldn't put it quite that crassly. After all, they wouldn't want to admit out loud that Jesus or anyone was just a tool to advance their cause, but that's very common, isn't it? If I see you doing something that helps me, well, then you're my friend. That's how it seems to have started with Jesus and the Pharisees. He was useful to them. He was preaching about the kingdom, and he was a conservative like them. But then reports were coming back to the Pharisees that he was not exactly doing all the things that they wanted him to do. He wasn't fasting the way that they did, and God forbid, he wasn't washing his hands before he ate like they did. He wasn't observing all the traditions that they wanted to be observed. He wasn't doing all the things that had earned the Pharisees the reputation that they so loved. Yes, he was preaching about the kingdom, but you know, sometimes, sometimes people get the, what, the cart before the horse, right? And that seems to be what happened with the Pharisees. The kingdom of God kind of took a backseat to their own kingdom. Or we could put it this way, they liked talk about the kingdom, but they were a little bit easy on the God part. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Who would possibly do that? Who would use the kingdom as a tool? Who would use the kingdom of God to advance their own kingdom? Only Pharisees would do that, right? And we would never be like the Pharisees, would we? Surely this isn't a danger for any of us. Surely we would never want the kingdom without God. Well, we would never say it, would we? We would never admit to that out loud because, well, like the Pharisees, we care about our, you know, status. We care about our reputation, and we know, we know that we should want God and not just his benefits. We know that we should want God and not just his kingdom, but man, it sure is tempting, isn't it, to just look for the kingdom, 
to put the cart before the horse and to value all the nice stuff, all the good stuff, without any of the obligations. Wouldn't that be nice if you could come home to a feast every night that you never had to prepare? Wouldn't it be nice if the feast didn't require you to do any of the dishes? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to have the kingdom without any obligations? See how this crept in among the Pharisees? To have all the good stuff, to be free from Rome, to have your own guy on the throne, to have all the status, to have all of the privileges, and to not have to worry so much about God. After all, sometimes God can be such a downer. Sometimes God can really get in the way of the things that we want to do. He has his rules, after all. He has his ways. He has his call to repentance. He has his duties for us. And that puts a big damper on things, doesn't it? Now, we would never say it out loud, right? We would never admit it. We would never say, I want to use Jesus as a tool to advance myself. But the leaven of the Pharisees creeps in. So beware, Jesus says. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. For a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Those ancient Pharisees are not all that far different from modern Pharisees. And their complaint against Jesus is really not all that different than quite often how we complain about Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit in exactly with us. And that means, that means that, well, <clears throat> that means that we have to fit in with him. And that can be hard, can it? Everybody likes Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus, right? Nobody would at least out loud say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I'm talking about people in this room, right? There are some who don't want anything to do with Jesus. But today is just for you. It's just for us. And none of us would say out loud, I don't really care that much about Jesus. But the leaven of the Pharisees creeps in. Now, at that time in Jesus' ministry, there were, there were four groups of Jews. There were kind of like denominations today. There were different sects, we might call them. Maybe you've heard of these different groups before. There were the Essenes. They were the dropouts, right? They were the ones who said, well, you know, this stuff is really hard. Let's just go escape into the wilderness. Let's avoid everything and just wait for God to, you know, strike it all down. Does that sound attractive to any of you? It's called the Benedict option now. Let's go establish a monastery off in the wilderness and let the world, well, let the world ruin itself and then we'll come out of the monastery when everything is good again. Then there were the zealots. They were kind of the opposite. They were the religious extremists. I mean that in the real sense of that word. They were the fanatics. They were the ones who said, you know, God's taking his sweet time. Maybe it's time for us to take up arms. In fact, one of Jesus' own disciples, Simon the Canaanian, is called a zealot. But those two groups were not the big groups. The big groups were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, well, they were kind of like the liberal denominations. They didn't believe in things like resurrection. That's never going to happen. And so they were prone, they were prone to being those who make concessions. If we really want to establish the kingdom, we can't wait for God We've got to make deals. We've got to cut corners. We've got to do what we've got to do. And so actually, the Sadducees were the ones who had political prestige. But it was the Pharisees. It was the Pharisees who were the closest to us. 
It was the Pharisees who cared about things like the rules, like the law. It was the Pharisees who insisted on traditions and following the heritage that they had received. In fact, that was kind of the whole thing of being a Pharisee. Keep the Sabbath, keep pure, don't mix with the world, pray to the Lord, follow the commandments, and maybe, just maybe, we can bring about the kingdom. Oh yeah, and God too, right? Because after all, no one would ever say that we just want the kingdom without God. You can hear it in the question that they put to Jesus. You can hear what the Pharisees focus on. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Tell us about the rules, Jesus. It's attractive to have a checklist, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if there was just a checklist that every day you just had to follow these five rules and then everything would go perfect in your life? Wouldn't it be great if there was a checklist for national renewal, if you just do these five things? Wouldn't it be great if if all we had to do was go to a voting booth and just check the box next to the right guy, and then everything would be solved? See, the leaven of the Pharisees is attractive. Following the rules, checking the boxes, following the commandments and the statutes and all the other traditions that need to go along because, you know, God's law is sometimes too simple, so we have to add on traditions. That is the leaven of the Pharisees. And when you get so caught up in the rules and the right rules, to be sure, right? Don't get me wrong. Following the right rules, you have a tendency to forget the one who gives the rules. That's what I mean by putting the cart before the horse, using religion, using Jesus as some kind of a tool to get what I want without having to worry so much about Jesus, about God. Which of the commandments is the greatest, Jesus? Just tell us, which commandment are we supposed to follow? What's the checklist, Jesus? What are the right rules? That's what the Pharisees were interested in. And Jesus actually answers their question, right? It's important that we understand this. It's not that rules are bad. It's not that law is wrong. In fact, it's crucial. It's critical. But if our hope is in the commandments, if our hope is just having the right rules, if all Christianity means is that we have the really right rules, well, then we've missed the heart and the spirit of the whole thing, haven't we? We have swallowed the gnat, No, we have swallowed a camel and strained out the gnats. What Jesus shows to the Pharisees today and what he shows to you is that there is something more than just having a checklist. There is something more to the kingdom than just being a tool that can be used to get a really nice life. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of an important part of the whole puzzle. It's God himself. See, the Pharisees were very interested in the kingdom. They liked that part of what Jesus said. But God, well, sure, we can talk about him, but let's not really think too hard about him. Let's focus on the rules. Let's focus on the commandments. Let's get our checklist out, and let's make sure we're all checking the boxes and make sure everyone else is checking the boxes. That's the important part, really, right? Not so much that I do it, but that all of you do it. See the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus says to beware of this kind of leaven because he has not come simply to give the right rules. Now look, Jesus is not anti-law. Jesus is not anti-rules. He answers their question and he answers it perfectly. 
What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. On this commandment depend all of the law and the prophets. And the second is just like it. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is not someone who chucks away the rules. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what Jesus looks to, what Jesus wants to emphasize over and against the leaven of the Pharisees is that his kingdom is the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to make sure that we get the cart in the right position, that we get the commandments, that we get the law, that we get the rules, and the right rules. It is good to have the right rules, but put them in their proper place. What good would it be to have the kingdom, to have all the good stuff, but to not have God? That was the temptation that Satan gave, isn't it? You can have all the good stuff, you can have all the benefits, you can have all the nice stuff, and you don't even need God anymore. You can have it all on your own terms. You can have it all in your own way. All you have to do, Eve, is just reach out and pluck the fruit and give it to Adam and listen to me. This is what Jesus points out to the Pharisees. If we were to keep reading in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23 would have a whole diatribe against the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe to you, Jesus says, who strain out the gnats but swallow the camels. Woe to you who get so caught up in your checklist that you have missed God himself. And see, that's what Jesus shows to the Pharisees. You want to talk about rules? Fine, good and well. It's good to have the right rules. I hope you understand me well this morning. But to have the right rules without God is to have hell. We want to have the right rules and we want to have God himself. And so look at the question that Jesus puts to the Pharisees. Let this question sink into your heart. More important than the commandments, more important than all of the rules or putting them in their right place is this question. What do you say about Christ? They want to know about rules. They want to know about checklists. And Jesus says, have you thought about Christ? Have you remembered that the whole point of the kingdom is to have God dwelling among you? Have you remembered the whole point of all of this, that I have come, that God has sent his son not just to give right rules, but he has sent his son to bring his gracious kingdom? What do you say about the Christ? Whose son is he? This is the kind of stuff that every child should be able to answer. Who is Jesus? He is the son of God and he is the son of Mary. He is David's son and he is David's Lord. We have our catechism that answers this so nicely, don't we? What does the second article of the the Apostles' Creed mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of his father from all eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And the Pharisees probably knew all the right answers. But see, they put the cart before the horse. They wanted the kingdom without God. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because a little bit of that leaven leavens the whole lump. And what you lose, what you lose if you go in with the Pharisees, what you lose if you put the cart before the horse is not some small matter. To lose God is to lose everything. To have all the right rules, to have all the right checklists, to make sure that you're checking the boxes, but to not have Jesus as your Lord. What is the point, dear friends? What is the point of all this that we are doing if it is not to glorify and emphasize the grace of Jesus Christ? 
Remember your Messiah. Remember your Christ. Remember your God. That's how Moses spoke in our Old Testament reading, and that is Jesus' message to you today. For God is not just a lawgiver. God is not just a rule follower. He does give rules. He does give laws. But he is the son giver. He is the throne builder. And if you have the rules without God, then you have nothing good. You have hell itself. But if you have God, if you have his son, then you have everything. How is it, Jesus says, how is it that David can call his son his Lord? And of course, you know the answer. It's because the Son of God has come in humility. It's because the Son of God deigned to be born of the Virgin Mary. It's because God himself has joined us. God has come in the flesh to establish here his throne. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus quotes this particular psalm. Jesus quotes this psalm to his very enemies. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Jesus points in the midst of this argument to his throne, to his kingdom, to his footstool. So let's end with that image in our minds. Jesus has come not just to give rules, but to establish a throne, to give judgments from that throne, to give laws from that throne, but to give grace and mercy from that throne. In the Old Testament, the throne of the king and his footstool was made of solid gold. You can read about it in the, in the building projects of Solomon. There were 12 lions all around his throne. It's pretty sweet. I wish we could build that here. There were 12 lions all around his throne, and there was a solid gold footstool. And the king would sit on his throne, and he would kick his feet up, right? That's why you have a footstool. When he was at rest, when he was at peace, when he was relaxing, he could kick his feet up on the footstool. Where is the footstool of Jesus? Where does he kick his feet up? Where does he reign from? Well, you know the answer, don't you? You know where it is that our Lord Jesus is enthroned, don't you? You know where he put his feet, where he kicked his feet up? He put them there on the cross. When you come up to the altar this morning and you look up at this cross, you'll see beneath the feet of Jesus this little part of the cross. It has a Latin name and I can't remember it now. Maybe one of the kids can tell me afterwards. But it's the footstool of Jesus. And the Romans, of course, put that footstool there to make them suffer longer. Because the longer you were able to push up on that footstool, the longer you were able to take your breath on the cross. Well, Jesus put his feet there so that you would be forgiven. Jesus put his feet on that footstool to conquer his enemies. Not to drive them down into hell, but to raise them up again. Jesus put his feet there on that footstool to bring in the kingdom of God, his gracious kingdom. His kingdom that brings us, yes, the right rules, but his kingdom that brings us, well, himself. Repent and believe, Jesus said, for the kingdom of God has come. Never put the cart before the horse. Never look for the kingdom without the king. But look to your Lord Jesus. Know that he has put his feet there on that footstool and that even now he continues to rule from that throne. Even now his gospel goes out and his word of grace, his word of mercy and love comes to you. He still loves to come among his people, 
to correct all their wayward thoughts and words and deeds, and to establish in your hearts, in your minds, in your life, not just any kingdom, but his gracious kingdom. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Look instead to the leaven of Jesus, and let his leaven leaven the whole lump. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.